Okay, how about we take our Bibles tonight and go to the book of Philippians, chapter number one, as we continue in our series here this evening that we just started a couple of weeks ago, Countered by Joy is the uh, series title, Countered by Joy. <clears throat> so Philippians, if you'll find your place there towards <clears throat> the latter part of your Bible, Philippians and chapter number one. All right. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll just go ahead and start in verse one. We're going to read through verse 11. So since we just got started, we've got the ability uh, to do that. It's a short book, but it's a it's a packed book. It really is this book of Philippians. So I know it'll be good for us here on these Wednesday nights to consider it a lot about your Christian life. Just in, in some ways, I was thinking about it because we've got some new believers in here. It's awesome. I, I love it. Uh, and even if you're an old believer, it's good for you to hear it again. Right. And never get tired of it. Uh, but it really does cover a lot of the basics of the Christian life. And so I look forward to trying to uh, bear some of that out here and really excited about the verses. And so we'll, we'll see how it goes. Verse number one, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops or the pastors and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, I don't think he's exaggerating there to you. I, I think he really dearly loved this church and said, every time I think about you, I just, I just want to thank God for you, you know. And he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, and then I think if you're familiar with verse six, you love it. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's a blessing. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more that your love may abound yet more and more. And then notice this, <clears throat> in knowledge and in all judgment, that your love may abound. So they are, they are, would you say they already had love amongst themselves, right? They had love amongst themselves. And so he's praying that their love would abound even more and more. Abound seems to be one of Paul's favorite words you know, abounding. And so he says that your love may abound more and more. And then, and then he says it this way, in knowledge and in all judgment. All right. That, okay, now this is verse nine through 11 is all one sentence. Okay. So we just got to see how it all connects. All right. So that your love may abound yet more and more in, all, in knowledge and in all judgment that you may approve things 
that are excellent, and you need to be able to do that, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. All right. All right. So the title here of Sermon 2 is this, The Love That Produces a Lifetime of Christian Growth. All right. The love, the love, I want you to already tuned in and thinking about this. Uh, I really think if, if God will help me to get this across, I think it'll be a very important passage for you to meditate on. Um, the love that produces a lifetime of Christian growth. Because every one of us are in need of a lifetime of Christian growth. A lifetime, not just 12 weeks and you're done. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. No stopping point until heaven. All right. And you're not there yet. Okay. So we've got to keep growing. So may God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We're going to get right into it. The love that produces a lifetime of Christian growth. So as we were visiting Brother Cecil today, Miss Joyce uh, called. And uh, so I asked Brother Cecil, she called on his cell phone. I asked, can I answer that? And I missed the call, but then I called her back. I said, Miss Joyce, this is, this is Brother Jason. We're having a wonderful visit here. And, and so we, we chatted a little while. She asked how he was doing today. They had just seen him uh, yesterday. But she was excited because she had just brought in some strawberries. And man, that took me back to Kentucky. And my grandparents bringing in some strawberries. That just kind of, that'll make you excited if you stop and think about it long enough that strawberries are coming in. Man, that, that is wonderful. Well, strawberries actually take a while to, to actually begin to produce fruit, you know, but then once it gets started, I mean, it, it gets rather exciting so that you can have strawberry preserves, strawberry jam, strawberry pie, strawberry shortcake. Do you want me to keep going? Are we doing all right? Is this? Yeah, man, that's exciting. I was so excited about that. Growth, growth. I love to see growth. Um, the life of a Christian, one man said, is a life of programmed growth. And it's God's program that you would grow, that you would grow. Are you growing? Are you growing? Do you want to be growing? Well, I want to, you're here on a Wednesday night. You might as well grow, right? While you're at it. Okay. No, seriously. I mean, it, it is for every one of us uh, to grow. You know, I've loved watching our boys grow and it's incredible at times, you know, I mean, especially if you're, you're around them all the time and you're around your kids all the time, but then you go somewhere and, and somebody says, my, how they've grown, you know, and you think, uh, uh, yeah, I guess so. But, you know, I mean, just the growth and the excitement that that brings. Um, this quote goes on to say this, Paul's vision is clear as he looks forward to the completion of God's handiwork, verse six, being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you. So those of you that have recently been saved, 
the day that you, you trusted Christ as your Savior, He started a good work in you. And how long is He going to keep that going? Until the day of Jesus Christ. All right? So He's going to work out His plan uh, in your life. And so it is God's handiwork, He says, in a life that is pure and blameless, completely filled with the fruit of righteousness. Then listen to this. If there were any other way, if there were any other way of just the the process of spiritual growth, if there were any other way, any easier path, any shorter route to perfection. How many of you would like to find that short route to perfection? All right. If there were any shorter route to perfection, would not the yearning love of the apostle say so? But he didn't say so. He knew that they, like you, must go through the same process of Christian growth. And, and finally, in this little quote, he says, but there is no such thing, no sudden righteousness. Okay, now we understand, I want to qualify that because we do understand this. The moment you believe, you repent and believe Jesus as your Savior, you are given righteousness. So in that sense, there is instant righteousness, but that's not the righteousness he's talking about. He's talking about when your life is lining up with God's will, that righteousness, that takes time. That takes time. Paul, um, Paul had joy. I mean, one, one thing that we've seen here as we got started the last time is that he had joy even in the midst of suffering. And, and joy is definitely, if you study the book of Philippians, if, if this is your first time reading through Philippians or hearing somebody preach or teach through Philippians, then, then certainly you're going to notice the 16 times that he either says rejoice or joy or, or be glad, something you know along those lines. Here's why. The Christian life is not a bummer. All right. Now, I know that's not a good theological term, but I'm just here to tell you, it is a joy to live the Christian life. All right. And so he's saying 16 different times. And now you got to keep in mind here, you got to understand the context of this, that here's a man that is in Roman imprisonment, and yet he's talking about joy. Well, the reason that imprisonment, uh, and he was in prison, by the way, for preaching the gospel, and they were trying to stop him, and, and there's other contexts, you know, behind that, but, but he's, he's incarcerated there, and he's writing these letters about joy, so what's keeping you from joy? You're not incarcerated, you're here, you're free, so what's keeping you from joy? But we can have some things, there's a lot of joy thieves, isn't there? There's a lot of joy thieves that can come in and rob you of your joy, and things that can be looming over you, and some worries, and fears, and stress, life. And situations of life, but, but I'll tell you why he had joy, because there's actually another theme that is repeated more than the word joy or rejoicing and gladness, and that would be this, Christ. 35 times the name Christ is used in this short four-chapter book. 35 times. In fact, that is number five on the list of the New Testament. Number one would be Romans. Number two would be 1 Corinthians. Number three would be 2 Corinthians. Number four would be Ephesians. And number five is the short little book of Philippians that mentions the name Christ 35 times. I think that's awesome. 21 times it mentions Jesus. 15 times it mentions Lord. So with all those references to our great Savior, it should be no wonder that he's filled with joy, even in the midst of some very difficult circumstances. And here's why. Because joy, I'm sorry, Suffering is countered by joy 
when your focus is on Christ. Now, when you get your focus off of Christ, it's no wonder you, you lose your joy. And I know, no doubt, every one of us have experienced that today. Right? Today. Something has come along that can rob you of your joy. Um, I want to work on this here just a little bit before we move on. Christ plays the absolute central role in Paul's life. I mean, the central role in his thought, in his life. And, and one man said, this is nowhere more evident than in the book of Philippians. Joy is how believers who know Christ and whose futures are guaranteed by Christ respond when life gets difficult. I love what uh, a man named W.B. Knight said. He said, joy is the flag that flies high over the castle of our hearts, announcing that the king is in residence today. All right. So joy is the flag that flies over the castle, indicating that the king is on the throne. All right. So if the Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne of your heart, you've got reason to, to fly the flag. But there may be some circumstances that come in your life, some situations that no doubt you're dealing with when you want to go outside and run the flag down, fold it and store it. All right. And we need this reminder that the trials of life are countered by joy when Christ is our focus. And so basically, we've just got to get our focus back on Christ. Burdens are heavier when you're not focusing on Christ. Is that right? Amen. Burdens are heavier when you're not focused on Christ. We try to find substitutes for joy when our focus is not on Christ. Leonard Ravenhill said this, entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. Think about that. Entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. The more, he went on, the more joy you have in the Lord, the less entertainment you need. How much entertainment do you need? Uh, that would probably have to do with your focus and, and uh, whether or not your joy is in the Lord. So it's obvious that Paul deeply loved these individuals. I'd like for us to look back at verses 7 and 8 and and, and really try to follow his train of thought. And I want to make some application along the way and be a help to everyone here about your Christian life and your, your Christian growth. Are you growing? Are you thinking and are you growing in your Christian life? Or are you just kind of stagnant? And then not only that, are you concerned about other people and their, their growth, their growth? All right, verse seven. Paul says, um, even as it is meat, it's quite right uh, for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. And then, then he's going to go on. I'd, I'd like to stop there. Although look at verse number eight. God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. People um, won't grow under leadership if they don't sense or feel that the leadership loves them. But you can tell right here, Paul dearly loved the Philippians. He longed after them. He deeply 
love them. I, I would imagine that probably uh, you had a favorite teacher growing up. I think about one of my one of my favorite teachers. I had a lot of great teachers. One of them was Miss Beckner in the fifth grade. All right. Fifth grade was a, a great uh, grade. And I'll tell you why. It was because she was a good teacher. But it wasn't just that she had a great ability to teach. But here's what it was. We knew she loved us. This is in a public school and she, we knew that she cared about us. And she had a, a bell, you know, on her desk that when the class got unruly that she would ring the bell. But no fifth graders could ring it. But after you graduated out of the fifth grade, you'd come back as a sixth grader and ring the bell. And I'm telling you, that was a big deal. It's a big deal. And she made us feel like we were so important, so loved. That's it. That's it. And, and, and Paul was loving them and, and caring about them. And he says, listen, I, I've got you in my heart. I, I love you. Uh, it's meet for me to think this, to have you in my mind, to think this of you all. Did you notice how many times that he said you all? I mean, it was so tempting for me to say y'all, but I didn't. I said you all because that's what Paul is saying here. But I think you understand what I'm talking about when I, he's saying, I love you all. I, I love y'all, we'd say. I, I love y'all. <laughs> Paul says, I love you all. Now, I think that's significant because the church was having some strife within its membership. And he's saying, I want you to know, I care about every one of you. What's that telling you? He's not taking sides. He's not taking sides. I have every one of you all. Euodius, Syntyche, two women that were having problems in the church. I love you all. Everyone. Everyone. So I'm not trying to read more into it, but I, I think Paul is going somewhere here with this. They were in his heart. His, his care for them definitely was heartfelt. Okay, so they were in his heart. And then I, then I want you to see this as much as both in my bonds. The bonds there are also mentioned in verse 13, verse 14, and also in verse 16. So the, the chains that he was under, the bonds there, uh, literally, he was chained perhaps to a Roman soldier. And so they identified with him. They were not ashamed of his bonds. They were not ashamed, and, and which is significant because they were a Roman colony. He's in Rome. With him being in Roman imprisonment, it would have been very easy for them to have distanced themselves from Paul, but they didn't. And they sent uh, Ephroditus to come and minister to him. And so he says, you are with me in my bonds. And then the last half of the verse goes together. Okay, let's look at it. He says, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. All right, so Paul had given defense uh, of the gospel. And he also is implying that they too were giving defense of the gospel. The word defense is a word from which we get the word apologetics. Okay, it's the, the Greek word, apologia is the word from which we get apologetic. So the defense. And so Paul would stand before uh, the tribunal in, in Jerusalem and in Caesarea, and he was about to stand before uh, in Rome and, and give a defense of the gospel. But he's saying, I knew when I did that, I wasn't standing alone. Now, I think persecution is ramping up in Philippi. And if you look at the latter part of chapter one, if you could do that just real quick here, if you look at the latter part of verse number I'm sorry, chapter one and verse 28, it says, and nothing terrified by your adversaries. Do you see that? Your adversaries. So evidently there were some adversaries that were coming against the Philippian believers as well. This is 10 years after he had been with them. And so they are themselves now facing some mounting persecution. And so he's saying, you stood with me 
even now in my bondage, uh, you stand with me in the defense and confirmation. The confirmation just means that you're standing to confirm and to, uh, to certify that these things are true. You stood with me in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And notice the last part. Ye are all partakers of my grace. Okay, and so Paul is saying, uh, you've stood right there by me and you likewise have been a partaker of the grace. Now, the, um, uh, the Global Baptist Times, the, the most recent one, I think you ought, to, you ought to read that. It's about telling the truth and do you want people to tell you the truth or not? It's a fantastic issue thus far. I'm not all the way through it. But the next one that's coming out in July and August is actually designed to help churches across the United States to get ready for persecution. And that's really what Paul was doing here, that persecution was on the rise and ramping up. And so he's saying, listen, you've stood with me in the defense and confirmation of the gospel by God's grace. And that's the same way that, that he was able to stand and the same way that they would be able to stand. So the, he had them in his heart. He dearly loves these individuals. He was concerned about what was going to happen to them when the pressure was on. And so he's, he calls on God to be his witness in verse number eight as we continue to make our way here. He says, I, I know, basically he's saying in verse eight, I, I know that you can't see my heart, but I know that God can see my heart. And God is my record. He says that I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. I long after you all. I greatly desire to see you. I think that Paul wanted to go with Epaphroditus back to Philippi. I think you wanted to see them. Maybe there's somebody that you can think of that you, you can't hardly wait to see, you know, and you think about them. Uh, you know, for us right now, it's Tyler. I mean, I'm, man, I'm looking forward to uh, yeah. As he's at uh, boot camp, he's in the forge. <laughs> that just sounds painful, doesn't it? He's in the final week. This is like finals week, you know. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I wake up thinking about him in the middle of the night and pray. I wake up in the morning and pray for him. Sorry. Um, God willing, we'll get to uh, go next week and have a family day. Man, that's awesome. Get to do that. Get to take him to some restaurants. And I guarantee you, we're not going to eat anything with the initials MRE. Not at all. Yeah. I yearn. You got somebody you care about. You yearn over them, you see. Um, you want to see them. You want to be with them. It's done our heart good to get letters and write letters. And, and actually, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure completely how I feel about this, but they're letting them have their cell phones on Sundays. And, and uh, so we've been able to, now as a parent, I like it. But as somebody that cares about having a strong military, I'm not sure. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Anyways, totally a side note. Um, but it's, it's been good. And he said this, he said, uh, when it's got tough, I've thought about Southwest praying for me. Yeah. Um, he's going to graduate, God willing, next, next Friday. We get to be there in person, man. I'm so excited about that. 
But when I think about what Paul is saying here, that's that yearning. He yearned for them. He wanted to know that, that they were okay, that they were doing right, that they were spiritually right, on the right track. That's what he's saying. And so that, that heart that he had there prompted him naturally then to pray. And so I, I, I've got you in my heart. I, I know what's coming your way. And you've already, you've already tasted a measure of it. Okay, bear, bear with me here just a minute, okay? Because um, I'm thinking about our church family and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about um, uh, people in our church making major decisions right here in life. And I'm thinking about uh, new believers. I, I mean, just like, just, just saved here within the last few months and, and starting to grow. You, you know what they need? They need somebody that will yearn over them and, and pray over them. Because I'm telling you, friend, we are entrenched in a spiritual battle. And Satan is moving and, um, and, and even just, hey, listen, in fact, I could even just say it this way. Even if it were just our own flesh, that'd be enough right there that we're battling. And so, hey, uh, those of you that have known Christ a while, you're greatly needed to pray for people that are in the midst of a battle and, and to pray for one another. And, and so Paul says, listen, I, you, you're, in my, you're on my mind. It's, it's right that I'm thinking this of you because I know, I know that God is working in you. And I know, I know, I know this, I know what the end is. I just, uh, I'm working in, in Daniel 7 right now in our Sunday school lessons, and, and I'm glad I know what the end is. It's kind of like the 2011 uh, World Series that I like to watch every now and then, again, because I know what the end is. I know who wins, and it's not the Rangers, it's the Cardinals. So I don't mind getting through game five that we lost, but game six that we won in games, are you following what I'm saying there? You, you can get through some things when you know you win in the end. All right. Paul knows we win in the end. I, I know I know that he's at work in you and will continue to be at work in you to to do that work until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Christ is coming. The day that you'll stand before him, the the final day. And in fact, what he's saying here is that you ought to live every day with that day in mind. It's kind of like your wedding day as you're leading up to it. There's still some that were here at the wedding last night that we had, uh, Brother Joe Climas and Miss Hannah Harold. You're not in a marriage. I just have, I have a friend, Brother Dan Preston, and, and we were talking about that and wedding plans, you know, for your kids and such. And, and if, you're, if you're entrenched in wedding plans, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You've been thinking wedding plans like all time. And you can't wait until the wedding day just so that you don't have to think about wedding plans anymore. Can I get an amen right there? Does that make sense? Okay, yeah, I figured that. So, but, but the day that we are supposed to be thinking about is the day when we stand before Jesus Christ. That is a huge day. It's a huge day. So Paul is saying, listen, because I have you in my heart, I, I'm longing for you. I, I, I long over you. I pray for you. And here's what I pray. We get Paul's prayer list. And this is pretty awesome. He says, I pray that your love may abound yet more 
and more. Why? Why is that? Well, because love is, is the right atmosphere for growth. And you won't experience growth if you don't feel loved. And other people within the church won't grow if they don't feel loved. And this has got to be not just isolated to certain groups or, or to certain people, but it's got to be the whole church that is, that is growing yet more and more. Do you hear it? It's present tense. It's like ongoing. He's praying that God would help you to love one another yet, yet, what a key word, yet more and more. No stopping point. Hey, I know that, that I'm preaching to a very loving church and I'm grateful to God for that. But listen, wait a minute, let's, let's think about it. I don't know what's coming in the form of any kind of persecution, if there is or not. It, it really doesn't matter because the Christian life is challenging enough to live by itself. And so because of the rigors of the Christian life, what we really need to do is to love one another even more and more, even as we see the day approaching that, that, that listen, we, um, we don't need to live, live in isolation or we don't need to, to be at odds among ourselves. No, listen, we really do need one another here. And we need to love one another more and more. I know that can sound sappy if you think so, then, then that's biblical. It's not sappy. It's just, it's what it ought to be that we are growing in our love one to another. That we genuinely love each other deeply. De I mean, like deeply love one another. More and more. And then it has this qualifier in knowledge and judgment. Now, I have to say, as many times as I've read through Philippians, I don't think I ever noticed it. And I definitely haven't stopped long enough to think about what he's saying. Anybody else read your Bible like that? It's a shame on us, right? But it's true. So when you stop and you, and you, and you think about it just a little bit, it really is the key that you would grow in, in your love more and more. There's the growth that your love would grow more and more in, in, in knowledge and in judgment. Well, that doesn't sound very lovey. <laughs> in love more and more in knowledge and judgment. Okay, definitely sound very loving right there, but it is. I, I came across a couple of illustrations of it that really make sense. A river has got to have two banks. Okay. And if it's got two banks, that river can produce life and be used for energy and fishing. But if that river gets out of its banks, it's destructive to homes and farmland and buildings. Another illustration I came across would be like what we have out front with the new landscaping. We have some young um, trees um, and they have two stakes, ties to it, string to it, to hold that tree in place against this Oklahoma wind, right? To hold it in place and the ground shifting and it holds it in place. So Paul says this, your love needs two banks, by illustration, your love needs to support, to be real love. Because otherwise it's not real love. We were checking out at a certain store and 
saw this individual that had a button, the rainbow on it, and here's what it said. Love is love. Love is love. Hmm. You ever want to ask about stuff? <laughs> Brother, you going to say it, just leave it alone? <laughs> Probably better. I didn't. But it, it made me think, okay, love is love. I mean, that, that's a, kind of a worldly mantra, isn't it? Love is love. I mean, if you love him, it's love. If you love her, it's love. Love is love. But I wonder if that's in the banks of knowledge and judgment. Okay. So, but if we, if we, okay, let's, well, hang on, wait a minute. Let's do some work here. Knowledge and judgment. What are you talking? Knowledge. Knowledge is means that you know God and you know what God expects, what God wants. Knowledge. Knowledge. Okay. Knowledge. Judgment is actually only used here in this verse one time. Judgment. This particular word. And it means insight or perception, discernment, the ability to take what you know and apply it. So love has got to be within the confines of what we know about God and his will. And we've got to apply that. And if we do that, we've got love. So if we say love is love, and I say that a young man with a young woman in a sexual relationship outside of the confines of marriage, that is not true love because it is out of the banks of knowledge and judgment. So you can't say love is love there. Oh, but I love him or oh, but I love her. No, you lust them. Be honest because that is not love in knowledge and in truth. Man with man, love is love. Woman with woman in a, in a sexual way. No, that's out of bounds because it's not in knowledge and in judgment. Woman leaves her family to marry or be with somebody across the United States because she loves him. That's not love because it's not according to knowledge and judgment. It's out of the banks. The tree is bent. It's broken. Are you following what I'm saying here? And so Paul is saying, listen, I'm praying for you because I know what's coming and I know what's around you. And I even know what's going on within the church. And I'm praying earnestly because I dearly I have you deep in my heart. And I want you to love according to knowledge and truth. And it's got to grow more and more. I know that you know some about this, but you got to keep growing here. Because there is a flood that is coming against you. And there is a wind of adversity that is coming against you. And wind of doctrine and wind of philosophies that will blow you over. And so I'm praying for you, Paul said. That you would grow in love yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment. That ye may prove that which is excellent. And that the next part of the verse, that you may approve that which is excellent. The word approve, is everybody still with me here? This is, this is powerful. 
that you may approve. So you need to grow in knowledge and in judgment here. You need to get this down. And I want to say to every young person here tonight and every adult here tonight and every child here tonight, we need to really get this down so that then you can really put to the test what is excellent. The word excellent means this, what's worth your while. What's, what counts? What really matters? There's so many decisions to make in life. How do you make all these decisions? Well, you've got to grow in the love that is according to knowledge and in judgment so that then you can approve, test, verify based on what I know about God and his word and based on what I perceive to be a proper application of his word, then this is either worth my time or it's not. So here they were having some problems within the church of some sort that we don't even know. But we know that one woman was against another woman. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm not taking sides here. I'm just praying that you'd grow in love with one another in knowledge and in truth, knowledge and in judgment, and that you would approve things that are, that are excellent. And it may be what he's getting at here is to simply say this, you know what? This is not worth you fighting over because it's not excellent. Now standing for the Bible, excellent. Standing for Jesus dying on the cross, excellent. Standing for soul winning, excellent. Are you following what I'm doing? Just take it. Biblical marriage, excellent. Raising a family, excellent. I mean, all those things you can, you can say, I can spend my time right there for him because that's excellent. But the vain babblers and the Judaizers that were coming in with some false doctrine and the people that have amplifying systems out on the corner that are preaching garbage, I don't have time for that. Sorry, I just came past that on the way in. Others did too. I don't have time for it. I'm not going to get wrapped up in it. I mean, I wanted to, but I didn't because I had to get to church. Do you see how that if we actually take this and apply it, it's really going to save you a lot of time because there's probably some things that you're wasting your time on on TV or or online or in relationships or 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 whatever it may be. You may be wasting some time because you're not really weighing this out. You're not approving things that are excellent. You're just going by what you want to do. But you need to know that love's not love all the time because it's got some boundaries to it. And, and, and you, have been, mm, you have been planted to grow in Christian maturity and you've got a root system right here. And, and don't, fight, don't fight against the, 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 the knowledge and the perception and the judgment that is in your life. Don't fight against those cords. Don't just stand and let God help you grow. You know how small that tree was out here that's in the front right there by the, by the uh, flagpole? It wasn't very big, but now it's really tall and it's stable. It's, it's like it's there. Well, that was deep, wasn't it? I'm telling you, it's there, friend. But at first when we saw it growing up, it was small. These little trees that are right here, they're small. Hey, you know what, you know what these young people need? They need somebody that'll help them stand where, where it's right to stand and, and help them understand what is right and what is true and what is moral and what is immoral because the world is messing with their minds and it's messing with our minds and we mess with our own minds. And so we need, we need to get back to what God is saying here and who God is and grow and grow and grow and grow because otherwise you're going to get blown away. Blown away. Approve things that are excellent. And then he says this, that ye may be sincere and without offense. That you may be sincere without offense. See, what you know and you apply will help you to be sincere. What is sincere? Well, it literally means this, without wax. 
Because when they would hold up that pot to the, to the light, some of these rascals would take some wax and if the, the clay pot or whatever was, was, was cracked, they could take some wax and kind of put it on there and then put some paint over it. And it would look like it's all good, but it was not sincere, it was sear. It was cone sear with wax. Okay, now I may have just totally invented a word, but I think you, you get what I'm saying. But what they would do is they would hold it up to the light to see, okay, is there any blemish in this? Is there any crack in this? Or is it sincere? What I'm saying to you is as you grow in the Christian life, you're not perfect, but he is. And he begins to help you to think like he thinks. And you take his word and you apply it to your life. And then your life begins to change. And he began, you can hold your life up and somebody can look at your phone and say, yep, that's, that doesn't have a crack in it. Or somebody can look at your relationship and say, yep, that's a good friendship. That's a good relationship right there. Yep that's a good bank account right there because look, they're spending their money wisely and they're tithing and they're giving and they're loving others through their, through their financial means. Yep, look at that. They're honest at the workplace. Are you seeing what I'm doing? You'll be sincere and without offense. Without offense means that you're not stumbling or causing others to stumble. I saw it yesterday as I was driving home and a guy on a skateboard. My, there's a bunch of skateboarders out there. Now I'm not against skateboarding by the way, but anyways, there was a, 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 just a little bit of a lip on the sidewalk. And man, I'm telling you, he just about bit it. I mean, just totally. He stumbled. Why? Because there was an offense right there. Okay. There's a lot of Christian offenses because somebody that's not saved comes and hears or sees the attitude maybe that you have or their foul language or the immodesty or the immorality or whatever it is where, it's, where your life is not within its proper banks. And here's what happens. I thought you were a Christian. Paul's saying, I'm praying for you that you would be sincere, that you would be without wax, that you would not be an offense. And this will come as you grow in loving one another because love, the, the love that produces the lifetime of growth is simply this, rooted in Christ. Because he, I missed this whole, this whole part of the verse. It's such an important part of the verse. Back in verse number eight, when he says that I long over you, I yearn over you, whatever he said right there, I greatly desire you. I, I, I have such a heart for you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Did you see that? The word bowels would, would mean like the heart, the liver, the, the most inward part. In other words, it was the terminology that was used for compassion, like deep uh, longing and, and compassion. So wait a minute, hang on, just think about this. Where did Paul get his love for the Philippians? It really was Jesus' love for the Philippians. And as he got Jesus up for the Philippians, then he prayed for them really just like Jesus prayed for us. She may be without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. And then we're actually already at verse number 11, I think, when it says this, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. What is that? Well, that'd be like Galatians 5 type stuff, love and joy and peace and long suffering and gentleness and meekness and temperance and faith. And, and, and it would be the Christian fruit that would come out of your life being filled. I mean, it's just like, look at this man or this woman. It's, they're filled with these, these righteous thoughts and righteous 
acts and righteous decisions, godly decisions. They are mature. And I, I look out here at Southwest Baptist Church and I, I see some people that have, that have been rooted in Christ a long time. And they're like, you're like that tree that's out front that, that through the years and through the winds, you've stood your ground, not because of you, but rather this, because of your root system. You're filled with good works that are, that if you read the, read the last part of the verse, it says this, that bring glory and praise to God. Isn't that what it says? Something to that effect. You can see it's not you, friend, but it's rather this. Your Christian growth brings glory to God because of who he is and what he's done in your life. You can't take credit for this. You can't take credit for this change. You can give all the glory to him. They see your good works, but here's what they quickly do. They glorify your Father, which is in heaven. The love that produces a lifetime of Christian growth. He prayed for that. And he, he prayed for that because, by the way, hang on, I missed another very important part. Um, in verse number 11, being filled with fruits of righteousness which are what? By Jesus Christ. Everybody see that? They're by Jesus Christ. He's working in you to produce those. Wow. So, I pray for you. I'm not Paul. I'm Jason. I'm your pastor. And I love you. I thank God for every single one of you. I'm concerned about what's coming on the horizon. I'm concerned about some of what's going on in here. I'm concerned about what's going on in here. In all of our hearts. And I pray earnestly that God may help you grow yet more and more in the love with knowledge and judgment that you may know What's excellent? So that you'd be sincere and not an offense to others, but you'd be filled with the fruit that's by Jesus Christ so that others would bring honor and glory to your great Savior. And I want to exhort you tonight too. Somebody needs you praying for them. This is a great prayer list. I know we often kind of cut it short and say, Lord, would you please bless so-and-so? But you know, it might just be good to have an open Bible every now and then take your Sunday school role, those of you that are Sunday school teachers, and pray, God, would you help the boys in this class to grow in love yet more and more for one another, that they would be an encouragement to one another? And would you help them, Lord, to know the difference between what's right and wrong and that their lives would be lived out within your banks? How about praying that for your kids? How about praying that for your spouse, your husband, your wife? How about praying that for your grandkids? God, would you help them here? Lord, would you help them to approve things that are excellent? Would you help them to know what's worth their time and what's not worth their time? And would you help them, God, to be, to be sincere? I mean, like just a solid Christian. God, would you help them uh, to be a solid Christian that's not causing others to trip and fall over, over whatever is going on in their life? And how about we pray for one another as members of the church like this, that God, would you help some of the new members of our church that have just been saved or just been baptized or just been added to the 
church. God, would you help them to grow? And how about we pray for one another, even as, as uh, members of this church that have been here for a long time, that we would just have a, even just a, a rekindling of a desire to, to be together, not just kind of go through the motions of this, but like really love one another and, and say, hey, listen, I'm praying for you. Maybe even write out a card. Here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would grow yet more and more in love that is in knowledge and in judgment. Are you following what I'm doing? And, and maybe just follow the model of Paul here who knew what it was like to pray for people that they might experience lifetime Christian growth. Well, I believe that helped the church in Philippi. It sure helps me when I know somebody's praying for me. You know, I'm kind of like Tyler every now and then when it gets tough, I think, you know what, I Bill Smith, he's praying. I know that, Brother Gail, he's praying. And others, you kind of think that way. Like, Man, that, that means a lot. Somebody's praying. Hey, somebody's praying for you. Somebody's praying for you. Yeah. And kids, pray for your parents that way. Pray that they might be filled with love yet more and more. <laughs> Amen? In, in, in knowledge, just not about you. Right? No. <laughs> Growing in knowledge and, and in judgment. And, and pray for your parents that they might grow. Young people, pray for your parents that they might grow. Um, those of you that have adult parents, you're an adult, you're raising your kids, pray for your parents, your agent, pray that they might grow. Uh, let's just take this and apply it to people that you care about. God, would you help those old boys and girls coming in off that bus or help? Pray they might grow yet more and more they got a long way to go. God help them. Grow in knowledge and in judgment. God help me to be one that would hold the string for them. Help me to be part of the stability in their life. That they might get rooted so they'd understand what's really good about life. They'd understand what's a waste of time. So they'd have a life that's rock solid. Even though they're not coming from a home that is rock solid. God help them have a home, have, start a home that would be just rock solid, that would grow and have a lifetime of growth. And they'd be here on Sundays and Wednesdays and they'd really just grow and grow. Read their Bible. Pray. Draw close to Christ. That they might be filled with the fruits of righteousness bring glory and honor to God. It's a powerful prayer. I mean, it just really worked me over today in the past couple of days. That God might help me deepen my prayer life for people. Yeah. Because our brothers and sisters are in danger. And they need you to pray. Let's stand together. Dear Lord, we, uh, as we have this invitation here, we just um, thank you for putting this in the Word. I confess I've just read over this, these verses and not paid good attention. But I thank you for them and, and um, pray that you'd help us in applying them in the way that we pray, even for one another, dear God, I pray. Help us, Lord. Um, perhaps the reason why some have gone astray is because 
we haven't been praying even this for them the way that we ought to. And I know everybody makes their own decisions. I understand that, Lord, but would you help us? Uh, like Paul, to follow this example here, there's a reason why you recorded this, and I pray that you'd help us, God, to, to follow that example in praying earnestly for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. We're singing page 273. If God has touched your heart, and maybe you want to come and pray this prayer. You know, our Savior taught us to pray, didn't he? And gave us a model to pray. Uh, here's a, another model to follow, and maybe you ought to just come and pray for somebody that's on your heart here right now. Page 273 as we begin to sing.